You're listening to sermon audio from Grace Mosaic, a congregation of the Grace DC Network in Northeast DC. For more information about our church, visit us online at gracemosaic.org. So I understand that as a church, you've been walking through uh, a series in Acts. And in uh, Chopping Up with Russ, what did you want me to preach on? Uh, We walked through a number of options and landed on the mission of God's kingdom. Because all of Acts is a continuation of what God is doing in the world. And it didn't just start in the Gospel of Matthew, but it is certainly part of God's Old Testament plan for redemption for all peoples. And Jesus is working that out in Matthew's gospel. In the opening, and it would be easy to miss, so I'm just going to highlight for you, in the opening of Matthew's gospel in chapter 4, verse 23, uh, we hear that Jesus, as he headed out to do ministry, that he taught in the synagogues and proclaimed the gospel of the kingdom healing every disease and every affliction among the people. And then in chapters 5, 6, and 7 of Matthew's gospel, we hear the famous Sermon on the Mount where Jesus is teaching and proclaiming the arrival of God's kingdom. And that's followed in chapters 8 and 9 and into 10 of all sorts of healing. Jesus uh, actually moving about, interacting with the people around him, and bringing about just what he's proclaimed. Through healing lepers, through touching blind men, for those who are unable to speak, for demonic forces, Jesus is engaging all of them. And in chapter 10, verse 35, there is uh, this description of what Jesus is doing. That as he comes to a close, uh, that he will, I'm sorry, in chapter 9, verse 35, that as he calls out, Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages, teaching in the synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction. And then it picks up in, verse, in chapter 10, where in verse 1, Jesus sends out his people, his followers, to carry this message of word and deed to all who have ears to hear. And that continues on through Acts and into the 21st century today. Here with you and I. We are a part of a story. It's not just your mere individual faith, but as we confess our faith and as we sing together and pray together and hear from the Gospel of Matthew, uh, we are invited in to participate in what God is doing in his world and what the arrival of his kingdom means and how that shapes our mission going forward, even our day-to-day lives. In uh, Silver Spring, Stephanie and I have a favorite Thai restaurant. It's right at the intersection of Georgia Avenue and Colesville Road. Uh, I'll give you directions later or the address if you want it after service. Just come and see me. But their drunken noodles with chicken is fire. I mean, it just brings the right combination of savory and spice. And it feels like every time we travel to different cities that uh, there is always a reasonably good Thai place, an opportunity to get uh, that savory and spice together, usually for an affordable cost. And I want you to know, I'm hoping that here, at least in Ward 5, there's one good Thai place. I'm guessing there is. And that's not an accident because the Thai government 
has a program to expand the number of Thai restaurants that are available, not just in cities in the U.S., but across the world. I came across this in an article in The Economist in 2002, and then Vice picked it up later in 2018 because this program had expanded so much. Effectively, the Thai government said, we're going to start exporting what we do really well. Our food is about to go out to the world. And so they started with a small pilot program where they actually brought in chefs and trained them. They wrote a handbook on here's how you go to foreign cities and set up a Thai restaurant. They mobilized their export import bank to finance this. This was a collective push that and they gave in the Vice article, they gave this phenomenon a name. They called it gastro diplomacy. The idea of taking food and goodness that represented your culture and taking it out and about so that the world can experience. They saw an opportunity for a testing ground where the proof of concept came to bear and was successful, and they said, let's keep going. They, they initially had a goal of 500. They go to 1,000. They go to 5,000. Now there's more than 10,000, and they're saying, how can we keep going? That's participating in the mission of Thai food restaurant development, and I'm thankful that they did that work. Well, in Matthew's gospel, Jesus has gospel diplomacy. Jesus has a program where he is starting with a test group of people to begin to roll out the news that the kingdom of God has arrived, and that means something for you. He developed a handbook, a way to go about and make this news known and invite people in to participate actively. The Gospel of Matthew is detailing exactly what the ongoing plan of God's redemption is doing. This divinely driven program where God had framed up his own playbook through the law and the prophets and the poets and here through the arrival of the Son of God to change lives. Here's why this is important for you and I. Because as good as Thai food is, it's just a meal. It, it, it will meet your temporary need of hunger for a period of time. But the divinely driven program of redemption satisfies for all eternity. It is a feast that you this morning are invited to participate in. And, and that has been woven throughout the songs that we've sung, the prayers, and the confession. This idea that no matter whether you have been a Christian or been involved in community your entire life, or this is the first time you have ever shown up and darkened the doors of a church building, we welcome you. And Jesus extends this invitation to his feast to you here and now. It's a one meal that can fully satisfy every one of us for all eternity. That's what we're invited to participate in. That's the feast of God's gospel diplomacy. We're going to take up that invitation this morning in two points. Calling to himself and sending to the world. So first, Jesus calls the 12 disciples to himself in verse 1 and empowers them for the work ahead. He called them and gives them authority over unclean spirits and to cast them out, to heal every disease and affliction, to continue his work. He called 12 and... I, 
not that we want to overread the value of numbers, but there is this connection reaching back to those Old Testament promises. Jesus is Jewish. Jesus is conversant with the promises to Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. Jesus calls 12 disciples to himself and empowers them to continue God's mission because he sees it as the ongoing extension, not of something brand new, but of the breaking in and continuation of God's covenant promises. He authorizes them as the king. He deputizes them as the savior, and he energizes them by his example. And that link here to give them authority, empower them to heal every disease and every affliction is almost like an invitation to follow in his footsteps. He's saying, you've seen the work that I've been doing. I'm now calling you and I'm empowering you not to do whatever you want, not to do whatever feels good, but to follow the work and example that I've been living. And what's interesting in Matthew's gospel is he gets very specific with the names, right? And, and there's some measure of diversity. I don't want to overread that, but some measure of diversity, at least different political views here. Uh, there's some sense that people are coming from different walks of life and have a bit of different backgrounds. And then we get some pairs of brothers. And, and so it's this collective specific list of 12, but we don't know much else about them. We don't get a lot of backgrounding of their story for the disciples. We don't have a lot of unpacking their own specific stories that have led up to this point. Not that that's not important, but here, as he calls them to himself, we get their names. Jesus knew each one of them and called them by name. And there's a principle here that I think is helpful in as much as it connects to each of our lives when we think about who is a potential follower of Jesus, who is invited to the feast, because there is a very human impulse to immediately begin to mentally image who gets that invitation, who gets the text or the email saying you're invited. It's human. And so if you begin to mentally image who's invited to the feast, I don't blame you. I think that's a natural impulse. But part of the reality here of Jesus specifying the names, but otherwise very generally leaving it open, is uh, an encouragement to us to never think that anyone is too far gone or doesn't fit the right model or mode to get an invitation from Jesus to follow him. One way to apply this calling of the disciples is uh, that you don't need a specific degree in order to come to Jesus. You don't need a set of credentials to come to the feast. You, you, can, you, you can come. If you're hungry, come and eat, so Jesus says. If he calls your name and you follow him, you're invited. And I think that that can challenge us when we mentally image who's acceptable to follow Jesus. That can challenge us to say, whoa, 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 be careful. All we had to the disciples is their name. Be careful. And so it can challenge us to think, okay, here they're moving cross-culturally, across political lines, across economic lines, reaching out to people and bringing them in. That's part of the continued work that you're going to be hearing about in the coming weeks in the book of Acts. Just what that looks like for the church to continue it. On the other hand, if you're here and you have just uh, 
pulled together the courage to show up to church this morning. And you are struggling. And it's not visibly apparent. People can look at you and think you're just fine. But you know from the minute you got out of bed this morning, there's going to be a struggle. And you've come to church just wondering, like, I'm hanging on a limb. Am I welcome here? Is this a place for me? Jesus knows your name and invites you to the feast. You are welcome here. Jesus' invitation to follow him isn't constrained by what you have done, however great that may be with the amount of gifts in this room, and I imagine it's a lot. It's not constrained to that, but it's also not constrained or excluding what's, what your past looks like, what you failed to do, what you couldn't keep up with. That is no disqualification from the invitation of Jesus. I want to make one note because I think it's a natural question that comes out from the text. In verses 5 and 6, in this first set of directions to the disciples, Jesus' gospel diplomacy has a geographic and ethnic emphasis that starts with the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Think about this in the context of God's broader redemptive work as God bringing the fruition of those covenant promises to the house of Israel. This redemption and the arrival of God's kingdom comes through the people of Israel. They are the holders of the covenant promise. That is Jesus' covenant line. This is just how it works. It comes through the line of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and Joseph and Ruth and Tamar all the way down to Jesus. Jesus starts with his people before the church moves out to all people. And that's what's going on in verse 5 and 6. It's, it's the redemptive uh, case studying, the proof of concept for just how these covenant promises are working out. Before later, and this comes, it expands, and that invitation goes out globally. So that's what's happening here in 5 and 6 is Jesus is calling people to himself. But he doesn't just call them. He doesn't just empower them, but he sends them out to the world. Read with me verse 7 here in chapter 10. And proclaim as you go, saying, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. The kingdom of heaven is at hand is the message that Jesus gives to the disciples. This is what they are to go out and proclaim. Now, I recognize that for some of us, the kingdom of heaven, that may need a little bit of translation. You can think about it as those who are here this morning who are struggling. You're having relational difficulty. You're having a set of life circumstances that have brought all sorts of conflict in your life. Think about the kingdom of heaven arriving as peace coming and forming on the horizon for you. If you're here this morning and you've been a victim of injustice or suffering or both, God sees you. The kingdom of heaven is an announcement to you that God not only sees you, but that justice is coming. He will do business with the perpetrators of evil. If you're here this morning, and in the day-to-day, you just feel the weight, whether that's oppressive systems in your life, your own relational and historical burden, or both, the kingdom of heaven arriving 
is news to you of God's freedom at hand and what's to come. So the kingdom of heaven is shorthand for God's power on display now and unfolding through all eternity. It's for those who can still sing with Sam Cooke that it's been a long, long time coming, but I know that change is going to come. That's the message that Jesus gives to his disciples and to the church today that we carry out. But it is more than mere words, right? In verse 7, he gives them the message of the arrival of the kingdom. But in verse 8, in what follows, there's work that comes with it. There's work that they're called to put in. And it's important to understand that uh, these two things come together. The announcement of the kingdom of heaven for all who I've mentioned in verse 7. And then in verse 8, healing the sick, raising the dead, cleansing lepers, casting out demons. And he continues on. In Montgomery County, if you want to do a home renovation project, and we know something about that, you need a permit and a set of plans. Uh, do you need a permit in D.C. to do stuff? I, I'm just kidding. I know. Uh, so you need a permit and a set of plans in order to carry out any project. And I... Uh, in Montgomery County, you have to put the permits up on public display. We had to tape it in our windows so that anyone who wants to walk by and take a look at what they're doing, they can see, right? Permits are up. And if anyone comes, any inspector comes and knocks on the door, we have to have the plans and we have to show them. They've been stamped. The right engineers have approved. Here's all the plans that we propose to carry out. One of the key facets of our kingdom mission when we think about it as a church is to never separate the work that we're called to do from the permit and plans that God has given us. These things go together. Could you imagine if you put up those permits for everybody to see and, and they could all check that everything that's required is done and your plans are always sitting there next to the door, but no work ever gets done. How's your renovation project going? You're all word and no deed. It doesn't work out. Now imagine if you had carpenters and electricians and plumbers and they came in and they're like, hey, I'm here to work. And you're like, get to it. They say, what do we do? I don't know. Go do something. Let's get busy. Get some work in. Can we charge you for that? I'm sure you will. But it was divorced from the permit and plans that you had put together. You'd have a lot of work, but no plan. The way that God calls us as a church to function is to always move forward with both word and deed. Not to have our word and all our theological particulars so clearly and publicly on display, yet utterly fail to show love to our neighbors. We are all word and no deed. At the same time, you can be all deed and no word. You can have amazing programs, doing amazing work. And if no one understands that part of what is driving this is the calling and empowering of Jesus Christ, the Lord of all, who's introduced us to the kingdom of heaven that's now at hand, that that's not the empowering motivation for what we do, then we're missing something. We're busy, but we forgot the word. 
And so what it looks like to move along as uh, following in not only Jesus' example, but the disciples' example is to live day to day with word and deed. And here's where that's good news for you, because if you're tempted to think that being a Christian just means confessing the right things and then showing up to church on Sunday morning and you're pretty much done, then this says, no, there's a lot more work that goes with that uh, word. There's a lot more effort that goes with that deed. And, and, And that has meaning because that translates to your life that whether you're here, whatever your day to day looks like at home at work, in school, in your neighborhoods, you are never away from or apart from the ongoing mission of God. If there is an opportunity for you to be clear about where your empowerment comes from in life, if there is an opportunity for you to show love to a neighbor or a stranger or someone in the Grace Mosaic community, then you are never too far afield from mission work. And so as Christians, it uh, begins to challenge us. I can't work out all of the details. That's where your creative imaginations must be engaged, where you begin to think, huh, if this word and deed thing go together, what does it look like for me in my day-to-day to live that out? The opportunities are boundless. Grace Mosaic is a community for 10 years, has been trying faithfully to walk out this word and deed ministry. Even when it's culturally unpopular to stand with the authority and empowerment of God's word and the message of Jesus, Grace Mosaic has done it faithfully. But not just standing with the word, Grace Mosaic, through its diaconal ministry, through its neighborhood parties, through its outreach, through its ongoing consideration of everyone in your community, you have faithfully tried to engage and match that word with deed, always doing those two things together. My encouragement to you is to not get tired, to keep going. Ten years is great. Ten years of faithful church, Christian ministry, amazing. Keep going. Don't get to a point where you outgrow God's mission. Don't get to a point where you're too big and it doesn't fit anymore. Never lose sight of what God is calling you to do. Now, I know firsthand this is not an easy ask. Why? Because people change and neighborhoods change. And how word and deed get worked out in your community, you, you never just get it so cold, uh, so, so down, so right that you don't, you don't have to work anymore. Uh, all of the forces, uh, your own sinful natures, the world around you, and the devil are going to work against you to not let you hold on to that, even if you get glimpses of what this looks like. So what that means is this ongoing and active faith where you don't just look back at the last 10 years. You look forward to the next 10 years and beyond and say, in the face of our changing lives, in the face of seeing really gifted and amazing people come, and in the face of seeing people come to faith in Jesus and be baptized, what an amazing thing that you don't just sit on what you've done in the past, but you keep going. 
Now, a particular note of encouragement for those of you who've lived here longer than seven years, that gets hard because you make friends and college students graduate and people who work for the government find other jobs. People who are here in politics move on and administrations change. And you come into contact with amazing people in our area and you begin to get close to them and then they leave. And, and that can leave you with this pit. You begin to struggle. Should I continue to love people? Because it hurts when they leave. To you, particularly those who have been here for a majority of the last 10 years, I want to encourage you. Keep going. Okay, Joel, I'll keep going. Thanks for that. Appreciate that encouragement, but how? What you're talking about, that's some hard stuff. How am I going to keep going? When Jesus and his disciples began to open it up, not just to the lost sheep of Israel, but to all nations, to all tribes, to all tongues, at the ending of the Gospel of Matthew in chapter 28, the 11 disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain which Jesus had directed them. And when he saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold... I am with you always to the end of the age. When Jesus not only gives us the pattern for ministry, not only gives us examples through the disciples and through uh, the acts of the apostles, Jesus himself walks along with us. How do we keep going for the next 10 years and beyond when it's hard, when I don't feel like it, when I'm struggling just to hang on? We come together and worship. We celebrate at the Lord's table where by the power of his spirit, he meets with us and nourishes us. He says, here you go. You're not there yet. We got more to go. Keep walking one step after the other. How do we engage a changing world with neighborhoods that change and people that move in and out? Jesus walks with us. How do we continue to fight against the temptations that we face in our everyday lives? Jesus walks with us. How do we hold together word and deed, not uh, giving or focusing on one and losing the other? Jesus walks with us. How does Grace Mosaic continue for 10 years down the road? You trust in Jesus, for he walks with you all. In the passage in verse 2, New Testament scholars point out that there's this flip from the 12 disciples to the 12 apostles. And it's the only use of that phrase in Matthew's gospel, the 12 apostles. It's unique. The 12 apostles. Apostles is a word that effectively means sent out ones. And while it's only here in Matthew's gospel, it was commonly used in classical Greek to describe the departure of a ship from a harbor. That ship is sent out. It's the same word. It reminds me of a short saying from John Shedd in his little book entitled Salt from My Attic. A ship in harbor is safe, but that's not what ships are built for. A ship in harbor is safe, 
But that's not what ships are built for. That's us. So in the face of the last 10 years where there may have been difficulties and challenges and we could be tempted to pull into the harbor, drop the anchor and just say, all right, we're good. Look at this. We've made it. That's not what you're built for. That's not what kingdom members, citizens in God's kingdom with his ongoing mission to the world That's what we're built for. That's what we're sent out for. And so if there's a temptation to stick and sit on the last 10 years, see that amen. Y'all heard that? I heard it. Thank you, little one. Appreciate that. Jesus calls us to mission, to follow his example, to follow the 12 apostles, to follow the early church, to take on the title of sent out as our own. So whether you're here just for a Sunday or a few weeks or a few months or a few years or for some of you, I pray, a few decades, you have the privilege of participating as part of the sent out ones at Grace Mosaic to think and pray and to worship and to connect, to party and to invite people to the feast. The kingdom has arrived Word and deed go together. And while we may be tempted to stay safe in the harbor, while we may be overwhelmed when we think about the uncertainties that lie ahead, the things in our lives that we don't control, how am I going to deal with that? Weighty things that press in on our lives. Real stuff. How are we going to deal with that? Jesus is with us. So as we journey out as a sent community. We are not alone. God is with us. His son will not leave us. His spirit secures us and we can declare loudly as sent out ones on God's mission. We are not alone. Let's go forward with the message of the kingdom and love for our neighbors following in Jesus uh, in his example, empowered by the pouring out of the Spirit, using the gifts and opportunities that he's given this community. Let's move forward together, for we are not alone. Let me pray. Mosaic. For more information about our church, visit us online at gracemosaic.org.